0: Hi, I'm Connor Byrne, and you are listening and watching That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I am talking to Dr. Draper, author, associate creative director, and head of copy Ryan Wallman. Ryan works at Wellmark, a Melbourne based creative agency that specializes in healthcare, everything from pharmaceutical marketing through to consumer health campaigns. Ryan has written for numerous industry publications, including Marketing Week. And is a contributor of the best-selling marketing book eat your greens in 2019 ryan released delusions of Brander*, a pretty funny sometimes close to the bone satirical view of adland but it's based in some really deep knowledge so he kind of gets away with it dave trott said he loves the book and rory sutherland said not only is this a marvelous book but no one other than dr Waldman could have written it today we talk about healthcare marketing commercial purpose being okay making better decisions, the need to get a grounding in marketing, showing clients the work and getting there early, avoiding the temptation to do something new fast, and how you can start a sentence with and, which I just did. Enjoy this episode. Ryan, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great to see you. Glad to see you too, Connor.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Uh, obviously, your your evening time there, my morning time here, you're heading into winter, I'm heading into summer, but I think we're both experiencing the same temperature, <laughs> like it's 12 right. degrees in Dublin. Sounds about right, yep. yeah. Mm. Uh, you've the heating on I've the shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, this is, nobody needs to see that. Uh, listen, so we want to get straight into it, and I, I feel like you've probably told this first bit maybe a thousand times, uh, you're... You're well known on Twitter as Doctor Underscore Draper. Um, can you, for anyone who doesn't know, the story behind maybe why you're called that, and uh, I think that'd be interesting for people to people to hear. Ah, uh, sure.
1: Yeah, I have I have kind of um, explained this a few times, but um, <laughs> uh, I, always a, I always feel a bit embarrassed about it as well. So basically, when I joined Twitter, which I think must have been uh, at least ten years ago now. Um, At that stage I was, uh, well, okay, so the the background to the doctor part is that I am actually trained as a doctor. Uh, I practised in medicine for about seven years, um, but before I kind of moved into the marketing communications industry, so I started out as a medical writer initially. And so, yeah, when I joined Twitter I was sort of, you know, having to think about a handle, and I think at that stage I was quite into Mad Men.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and so I fancied myself as a bit of a, I don't know, a medical version of, of Don Draper, which is yeah, <laughs> quite highly embarrassing now. But you know, I sort of I had to stick with it. So, so yeah,
0: that's how it came about. <laughs> but um, it, so it is a very interesting path to go from m- medicine into advertising. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment where you were like, uh, you know, I, I've had enough? I, th- I think I did either read or hear you kind of saying actually just the world of medicine was was challenging like a really tough world and but what made you make that transition yeah
1: well that's right I mean look it is and and I worked in psychiatry for most of the time that I was in clinical medicine so uh particularly public psychiatry is is a tough gig you know it's a pretty grueling um area of medicine you work with a lot of very unwell people uh it's you know it can be quite stressful in terms of um, dealing with aggressive people and you know acutely psychotic people and so on, and so I did get to a point where I felt like I couldn't imagine myself doing it for the rest of my life, kind of thing. And I and so I, I sort of figured that I had to you know um, make a decision about whether I wanted to stay. And and at the same time, I was very drawn to writing um, right. and uh, not not sort of marketing writing per se, but but I sort of knew that I would I wanted to write in some capacity. So uh, so that's when I started looking for a job as a writer and, and it kind of made sense that I that I went into medical writing because of because i had done so much study and I you know didn't want to throw that away. So yeah, so that's how it happened.
0: And was there because uh, like you could have gone, I guess, you know, a couple of ways at writing. It could have been writing and it'd become a, a novelist or a journalist mm-hmm. or you know, how how did the the Adland piece happen?
1: yeah well kind of serendipitously really right because um as you you know as you said there, there there are lots of different forms of writing and even within medical writing that's true healthcare journalism for example is very different from yeah um from pharmaceutical marketing which which is what i'm doing and what i've ended up in really uh and it was really because um I, I, you know, literally went to seek at that stage and sort of plugged in medical writer and came across this job as, for, as a medical writer um, at the agency that I'm still working at, and that was 15 years ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of sort of fell into it, I suppose, as much as you can fall into a job like that. Um, and yeah, but I think it's been quite lucky because it really is probably the area that I should have ended up. In this is the sort of um, work that I enjoy. I really like. Uh, the advertising industry um, as much as I'm, you know, I'm not sort of in mainstream advertising, obviously, but, but yeah, I think uh, it sort of suits my, my background and my skills. So, yeah, it's been good.
0: Yeah. Like in you know, I guess in a way you could never have seen probably that path, you know what I mean? Going to become studying medicine and, uh, you know, studying medicine to become a copywriter.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. It's a, a very, uh, it's a curious way to get there. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, and, I, and I've mentioned this on uh, a couple of podcasts as well, is uh, one of my colleagues is also a former doctor. Um, okay. Who, who, took, who took a very similar path and, and went into medical writing uh, and now has kind of diverged into, into strategy rather than the creative side of it. But, yeah, we've got a couple of doctors, which is obviously very unusual.
0: Very you know, <laughs> different type of agency. But, look, you know, it's interesting. As I, as I meet a lot of people for this podcast, they're, they're definitely, you know, varying different paths for people coming into marketing. And, and I think that's, that's great. Like there's the people who, you know, or remember when they were seven and they saw an ad and I always wanted to do that, I, you know, but then there's people, and I'd be a bit like you, like I, I worked in hospitality and nonprofits and kind of came into marketing via that. And I think it's good. I think it's good that there's kind of, you know, those options are open to people and, um, you know, it's a, it makes it a more interesting industry i think you, you mentioned the agency you've been in for for the past 15 years at Wellmark um make sure i get the name right uh, and they <laughs> they they specialize in healthcare healthcare marketing can you tell me a bit about the work that you and the agency do
1: yeah so well the it really started out as a essentially a pharmaceutical marketing agency uh so when I joined the agency, the bulk of our work was, or the bulk of our clients were pharmaceutical companies. Um, that has changed over time. Uh, so we now, it's actually a minority of the work that we do now. We still do okay. the pharmaceutical work. Um, but we've we've really diversified into sort of broader healthcare. So, you know, we, we work for anything from hospitals to, you know, internal communications for hospitals, promotional campaigns, that kind of thing. Uh through to quite technical medical writing, you know, we've written or drafted um, journal articles and that kind of thing. Um, uh, We work for medical device companies. Um, But yeah, and we still sort of do retain that sort of traditional pharmaceutical marketing as well. So so yeah, it's quite diverse
0: uh, within healthcare, but but yeah, it's all healthcare. And I, I, I don't know the space well enough, but I don't. I don't. I'm not aware of a lot of agencies that are kind of that that specialized in in that area. But then I also know when you're talking to people who are looking for people for healthcare marketing roles, that requirement to understand the healthcare space is very strong. You know, recruiters are like, well, no, 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 you have to. You have to have worked in healthcare. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, yes, I think. I think it is a massive advantage to uh, have some kind of healthcare background, and that's obviously, you know, how I got into it. Um, and I and I have found that people who are from the sort of the, you know, the consumer side uh, can struggle with, with healthcare communications because it is, you know, it's so highly regulated and you have to, you know, you really have to have some kind of knowledge of those regulations and, and what you can say and what you can't and so on. Um, but having said that, uh, there's been a real shift in healthcare advertising in the last few years, maybe a little bit more, um, where it's, it's sort of become a trendy area to, to be in. Uh, and there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of big healthcare agencies, particularly in the States and Europe, um, that have taken on people from the consumer side. And I think it's probably been, uh, for the betterment of, of the industry generally, you know, it's sort of just diversified the the sort of thinking and creative um, talent that, that is in the industry. And it's and it's really lifted the the level of creativity um, that you see in healthcare advertising, particularly pharma, which yeah. tends to be very, very clichéd and, and sort of, you know, a bit lazy, if you want a better word. Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting change. Uh, so I think, but, you know, when you have people from a healthcare background working with people who don't have that background, I think that's when that's the, sort of,
0: the magic happens. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I often think of healthcare advertising. Uh, some of the ads I might, I might see in the states where you know there's a, a medical product, and then there's like 27 minutes of you know,
1: <laughs> if you take this product, you may die. <laughs> yeah, I think I think South Park's done parody of that, has not it? Um, yeah, a, a, that's kind of the classic. And the well, the interesting thing is that the regulations vary from country to country, and and the thing about the states is that you can advertise pharmaceutical products to the public. which yeah. We can't do, you know, you guys yeah, can't, can't do. Uh, yeah. And so it's very different. And that's why you get all these, you know, ridiculous disclaimers at the end. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, it's got a real feel about it. That, that American um, advertise farmer advertising. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I do enjoy it. I- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One I enjoy. thing I do when I go to any country is put on the TV so I can see the ads and, and they're some of my, yeah, yeah. some of my yeah. favorites. And um, so, but, so interesting. Maybe going back to that point about kind of the the merging, or you know the coming together of maybe the consumer and the healthcare. And I I know from reading you know some of the stuff you've written, you have you know clearly really strong you know understanding and grinding in the principles of of marketing of brand building. And how do you find you're able to apply that in in the agency in the in the role you're in?
1: Yeah, well, uh, thanks. <laughs> I don't know if that's entirely through, but. But I guess the one of the things for me is that, as well as the healthcare background, I've done a master of marketing, and kind of you know was uh, schooled by Mark Ritson and, and others mm-hmm. at that you know business school. So yes, I've I've got a I've had a pretty broad education in marketing um, beyond just the you know my day to day work. Um, and what I would say is that when you have when you have that grounding and and sort of you know I guess the, the more recent um, evidence base that it, that is yeah built up in in marketing with with Ehrenberg Bass Institute Byron Sharpsworth and so on what and I and I have kind of made this point before as well is that it really helps to be able to use that evidence when you're working with clients in healthcare because they tend to be very Evidence-driven people, you know, a, a lot of the time you're dealing with with people who have got medical backgrounds, for example, yeah, or you know, on a legal side or whatever. And if you, if you can back up what you you know your creative work with uh, with evidence, then it, it tends to sort of it, it just makes your case a lot stronger,
0: um, yeah. That, that yeah that's a really interesting point because i often think about you know some of the mar- challenges marketers face are often with you know people in finance maybe and you know that that's again quite rational and so again yeah. but that makes a lot of sense if you're working with people in, in healthcare they're going to be like well what's th- what's the evidence because everything's yeah, based right. on science
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah I, f- I have found that very helpful um it just sort of gives you a bit more credibility i think and yeah because otherwise you sort of feel as though you're coming from creatives are coming at it from a completely different perspective from you know from from the
0: people on the on the medical side or yeah. Yeah, they are Here's the art like what? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. One thing again I read about you, you you talked about the work that you do and you know you, you said it's it it's great because it is it, it is often actually ultimately life saving work. And I don't think you were trying to overstate the work that, that you do, but you're you're getting to work on products and things that actually ultimately can can save mm. lives. Um how then do you feel about? Um, I, I think generally, kind of the, the purpose, right? Because I think you know clearly if you're working with you know a, a brand that has a product that can potentially save a life, like that, that has a that has a real to me purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. How
0: do you then feel to kind of like the? I, I always think about the Hellman's mayonnaise example. I think one of the <laughs> investors said, you know, if we need to say Hellman's has a purpose, that there's, there's a problem. Like it's for sandwiches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's your what's your view on kind of where we're at and all that? Because I think truly you're you're working in industry that can say, yes, we have a purpose.
1: Yeah, and I think in some ways that makes it easier for me <laughs> or for people who work in healthcare communications because because there is an inherent purpose there and we don't have to build one in. We don't have to kind of contrive it. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you may know from some of the stuff that I've written, you know, I'm very sceptical about brand purpose more broadly and, and this kind of, you know, tacking on brand purpose to things which... Which just don't deserve. To <laughs> deserve to know about it, uh, You know, and I, but because I, I think ultimately I, I agree with people like Steve Harrison, who has written a lot about about this. Um, that you know, the purpose of of marketing in generally away from you know, aside from healthcare, is to is to you know is to create uh, a demand for products uh, that then drive you know economic growth and so on and um, and ultimately it's about people making a livelihood out of it it there doesn't need to be a purpose that is loftier than that you know and i think uh, i think the advertising industry has kind of lost sight of that in many ways um but yeah so i guess i guess i'm kind of lucky in that it, we
0: don't have to contrive that sort of thing generally yeah Yeah. and it's you know i guess i guess some brands are by their but by how they were founded often you know it's founded on kind of a need that can tie to a purpose but it's just yeah i think i think the kind of a there seems to be a leveling out of it i think you know i think the Mm. you know the challenging economic environments a lot of us are operating in i think is kind of leveling it out and and people are kind Mm. of getting to the more yeah look this is commercial right yeah. you know if if there's good comes out of it that's that's great exactly um, right. and i think you know as byron sharp said there's
1: no shame in that And i think, yeah. I think for some reason there seems to be an almost a self-loathing among some people in marketing about about what they do and they need to sort of find something greater when you know that's really not the case you know there, there is a sort of a maybe nobility is probably putting a bit too strongly but there you know there, there's nothing wrong with uh with with that purpose, with a commercial purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah. As, you sure. know,
1: assuming it was ethical and, and, and all those other things and it's responsible, but
0: yeah. But, yeah, but, and everyone's going to have their own, uh, like, moral compass. I remember working in an agency before and, you know, a wide variety of, of brands, you know, from, you know, soft drinks, there was banks, and this was around the time of, you know, the banks were very bold in this country, in Ireland, and um, and and then we, we won an account for a poker brand. And our planner was just like, no, I, I like she left the agency. And I was like, look, okay, okay. everyone has their moment. Everyone's like, that's my, I can't do it. I can't do yeah. poker and there's personal reasons. I was like,
1: yeah, oh, like it's,
0: it's they're, they're paying well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I agree. And and there is, you know, the line is different for everyone. I think, Yeah. you know, um, that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just it, it really is that imposition of a, of a of a sort of something that's more that's loftier that that sort of gets to me and um and you know of course all that that's all the stuff that gets entered into awards and so it's it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling
0: prophecy mm. yeah yeah when it, yeah the the commercial side actually I, I just recently judged some a category of an awards here and and it was actually brilliant it was kind of refreshing actually to see how tied to commercial i comes the the Mm. entries where and i was like this is this is great because even ones that could be seen as more you know we're doing a good thing like but the commercial outcomes were these i was like this this is good right i I want to see more of that and it's
1: weird weird that that's
0: refreshing yeah (laughs) Yeah. so look i love your book delusions of brandier um fantastic and what made you what made you write the book what was that again that moment you're like i have a a book in me (laughs) Well, again, I,
1: I kind of fell into it, if you like. Uh, I didn't intend, I didn't sort of set out to write a book. Um, what happened really was that I had for years been doing little satirical pieces on Twitter uh, and, you know, writing blog posts and that kind of thing. And after a while I just thought, look, you know, I'd, I had seen a few people put out books that were in a similar-ish vein, like Bob Hoffman, for example, yeah. you know, he, I think he, he even mentioned on Twitter, he's like, this this is literally just a collection of my blog posts. If you're expecting anything else, then, you know, you're going to be disappointed. I was like, oh, okay, um, you know, maybe I can make something out of what I've already done without having to put in too much effort. Um, and and so I I pretty much just did that. I, I got together all the stuff that I'd, you know, could, anything that had been vaguely popular on Twitter <laughs> Uh, as well as the more popular blog posts and so on, and I sent it all, you know, uh, as word documents. You know, I mean, it was very, very unsophisticated, to
0: Giles Edwards, who was my collaborator,
1: uh, and he put it together and made it look great. And that was, yeah,
0: that was it. It it does. I mean, it does look great, and it's it, it's a great and enjoyable read. Um, and there's bits in it that you know. I was reading back over before this and and I'm like, okay, I have to ask, you know, about some of these things. And some of these things are just like, they're wonderful. They're, um, they're, they're also probably quite confronting in parts for people in the industry. So, um, so one of the ones I wanted to ask you about, I I have here is, uh, I'm not going to ask you to remember all these things, but the top 10 reasons that marketers give for making their decisions, right? Like I I love this. And it's what I would want if I was the customer, my mate Dave thinks <laughs> thinks it's great. And there's one in, in here, which was number seven in your in the top ten, is Gary Vaynerchuk shouted it <laughs> at me. And I was like, <laughs> what's going on there? Uh, I
1: can't remember exactly, but I think, like, <laughs> I, think it, it, I must have just recently seen one of those videos. That, remember you used to have those videos where you know, he just kind he put of... Put his of
0: feet sh- up on the table and... Yeah, yeah
1: just shouts at the camera.
0: And I was like...
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, and people seem to, you know, seem to take it in and seem to think he was great. And I don't know. I, I actually got into a little exchange with him on Twitter once, and oh, did um, you? i had I said something a bit rude, and someone tagged him, and he responded very, very kindly. To be fair, uh, and I think we ended up agreeing to have a wine somewhere
0: at some stage. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair play to him in some ways, but um, yeah. But when you look at that, and you know, I think it's a, it, you know, there's some great things in it, and it, and it's I mean because Apple. Um, but from your perspective, then, like, what are the things that marketers can do to help them make better decisions? Yeah, well, look, I,
1: I, I always say this, but uh, being trained in marketing, and and this is, I'm kind of parroting what Mark Ritson often says. But it's really true. You know, it's, it's quite amazing how many people in our industry not only don't have any education, formal education in marketing, but also um, see it as almost a virtue. And it, I, I just can't, you know, it's hard to think of another industry where, where people see ignorance or, you know, not, not, being, not being educated as being a positive. And, and it genuinely <laughs> is like that by some people, yeah. you know. Oh well, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be up with the latest trends, then you, you, know, you can't be adhering to traditional marketing practice and so on. But and so I really think that um, anyone who, uh, if you are young marketers or people coming into the industry or whatever, if you, I think the first thing that you should do is get a is get a general grounding in in marketing fundamentals and pretty, you know, yeah. probably Mark's um, Mini MBA is is about it's the easiest and quickest way that you can do that. Um, yeah, that's
0: yeah. What I think. It, or I, one of the ones for me would be paul feldwick's books actually oh. yeah because i mean f- f- i think to that point i think that the history of of advertising and why we believe or say some of the things we say not even believe some of the things we believe i think it's say some of the things we say yeah. and when you look at paul's two books I, I think they're a fantastic way of kind of entering into oh okay that's why that is you know, a thing. And, um, yeah. yeah, so even if the mini-MBA from Mr. Ritson is, is out of reach, there's two books out there and there's more books. But, like, I think, yeah, that curiosity that, is important.
1: Exactly. And, I, and that, that's probably a very good point to make, actually, because, you know, not not everyone will have necessarily the resources to be able to undertake formal education. But but some of it, you know, you can, you can literally just get Drayton Bird's Common Sense Marketing book, as you say, Paul Feldwick's books, um and you know you, you're kind of you're already better off than 50 percent of marketers <laughs> out there if you've got that grounding
0: so yeah um, i agree yeah birds, birds essential yeah um i just birds books are phenomenal as well i love that, that stuff and um, i'm going to go on to one of the other um pieces here sorry i'm not it's not like a book reading but i just i love these, <laughs> these points that, that that you've made and it's in the cheats guide uh heed words of the wise i think that's kind of what we've just talked about like looking to to the, those that have experienced like people like dave Trott, bob hoffman you know and um, and then another one that struck me and it's come up with a few other people is avoid over complication do, do you you must see this in the agency a lot where people are coming in is it the over complication of the brief is it the over complication of the output yeah uh, look, I, th-
1: I you know, I guess what I was probably referring to there, it, it, if if I had to think of a specific example, is the fact that you know, when agencies present two hundred slides, yeah, <laughs> on a deck deck, I you know, to to use the industry term, um, you know, before they even get to the creative idea, you know, I think maybe maybe we might be slightly overcomplicating things. Um, it's and it's. I, th- I think it's probably been born out of the fact we sort of feel as though we have to justify what we're doing with all that rational type of messaging. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not what is going to make an impact. Um, so yeah, look, I think I think particularly the way that strategy has kind of um, superseded everything else in some ways. Um, yeah. Not that I've done anything against strategy or strategists, but but I do think. You know that was almost that. That's that's a relatively new phenomenon in advertising. Um, if we're talking, you know, if you think back to the sort of the, you know the, the heydays of the sixties and so on. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I don't know that it's for the that it's really improved things much. So I don't know. I'm probably going to make enemies there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I don't. I because I, I don't think so. In the sense that, you know, I've been looking to speak with James Herman from previously unavailable yeah. and Andy yeah. Nern from lucky generals. And both yeah. of them actually had very similar, and they're both kind of strategists and planners. And they both have the same view kind of saying the skill is to simplify it and distill it down into something really short and succinct. And I think we've all sat in meetings where, you know, the planner is, you know, and everyone's using the will to live because it's like <laughs> slide 97. You're like, Oh no, like, yeah. you know, yeah. and, Another one, like, you know, Johnny Call, who's now CMO of Heineken in the USA, he said in his role, he just, I think sometimes the further up you get, the further away from the work you get. And he said in his role, seeing the creative is probably one of the most exciting things he'll do that quarter, if not that six months. He goes, like, get to it. Like, get to
1: it. um there's a fantastic video by Nick Ellis I don't know if you know Nick he is uh, one of the founders of Halo which is a Bristol agency he did this fantastic um isolated talk which is the uh, the talk series that Giles Edwards set up during COVID. um yeah and he, it's called wow how now and he makes the point that you know people, clients want to see the creative they want to see the exciting stuff and so mm-hmm put it up front do it first and then explain you know the rationale behind it and so on I mean, yeah it might make a lot of sense I mean, so sort
0: of an yeah. and again back to paul feldwick sh- like the showmanship because even yeah. in that moment it like you know be barnum <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. to have the showmanship and um, you what you also talk and I, again really love this you know board of your brand and i think a lot of a lot of us talk about oh you know the dk of the ad and you know people have seen it too often and we should rotate and we should, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. But your point is people don't think about your brand as often as you do and, you know, resist kind of the temptation to create something new for the sake of something new. Again, probably something you've seen, but what advice would you have for, you know, maybe somebody I, I think often entering into a new role. And that that temptation is often very strong because there's maybe a place where they feel they can make the most impact. Your what advice would you have for anybody? You mean from on the client side? I think yeah, and I think from the agency perspective, because if you're working on a client's and work, and then you see okay, here comes a new head of marketing, CMO. Yeah. You know, how would you kind of try help them navigate the resistance to go and let's do uh, something new? It's a that's a very tricky
1: one, and I'm I'm not very good at kind of. Politics. <laughs> I leave that to our account manager and so on. <laughs> um, but look, I think, as certainly for, for marketers that are coming into new roles, I think there's a lot to be said for for not doing anything much for a while and getting a lay of the land and, and sort of you know understanding the research, understanding what the campaign's done so far. I think, there, as you say, there's there's so much temptation to to do something, and it's funny. It's it, there are actually some parallels in medicine. Um, you know that you you sort of feel compelled sometimes to institute a management decision when sometimes the best thing to do is to is to simply wait and, and observe. Yeah, and I think that's definitely true in marketing. And and the, and there is this issue of marketers assuming that campaigns will wear out a lot quicker than what what they do and what yeah. you know the way that consumers respond to them and. Um, yeah, it's a re- it's a real problem. And of course then the other issue is that agencies are looking to, you know, to do a new campaign because they want to be paid for it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so it's tricky. It's really tricky, but yeah, I don't know that I've got a great advice on that.
0: Yeah, but and I think you're I think you're, it's probably that balance is interesting because the, the agency may see, right, here comes somebody new, we can we can do something new. maybe the the braver thing for everybody in that situation to do is what can we keep? you know, yeah. watch what yeah. needs to be freshened up. And, you know, I think the brand, Jim often talk about the fresh consistency and there's great examples of, yeah. of brands that just continue to, yeah. to be consistent, but in, in, a, in a fresh way. Um, yeah.
1: And by, I guess, by, I,
0: sorry, I was just no, no, by, go ahead. What a great uh,
1: piece about that in how brands grow, where he talks about, you know, refreshing it, but keeping the brand messaging consistent and, um, as one of his kind of principles of effective advertising. So, yeah, I think that's very true. Um, and you're right. I think, you know, if you're going to have long-term relationships with clients, then maybe m- making, being a bit braver about yeah. um, being strong on, those, on you know, about saying, look, this campaign has longer to go, I guess, you know, in Engenders trust in the relationship, and and that you're actually interested in in making sure that the work is effective over the long term. So yeah, yeah,
0: it, it, exactly. And I think there's always the you know the the worry that the, the account's going to go, and maybe sometimes that's that's the right thing. And um, you also talk about kind of the the need for for people to and loosen the grip on the creative process and I think that might have been related to maybe creative awards but but anyway I I find that really interesting and I'd love you to talk about that and kind of your experience of you know the grip being too tight and and where it's you've seen it being more successful when people loosen that grip
1: yeah well speaking from personal experience uh, you know it just makes so much difference if you are given creative freedom uh, without subjective feedback and especially subjective feedback early on. So okay. I think the big mistake that a lot of clients make is that, you know, they assume that they are the target audience um, and and that's, as you know, you know, things can, can go off track very quickly uh, if they decide that they don't like whatever it is, you know, a particular colour or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and the, the really... Great clients that I've worked with have been able to take that step back uh, and evaluate creative, creative on some kind of objective merit, um, and that's when uh, that's when I think you you know you kind of permitted some creative freedom to be able to to do what you whatever you think is best. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think look, I think micromanage micromanaging feedback for one of a better phrase is is just not helpful to anyone. Um, and particularly not sort of as, as you're going through the phases of creative development. Um, you know, I mean, we've all seen creative get watered down and watered down to the point that it becomes basically unrecognisable from, the, you know, from, from what you've initially presented or your, or your initial um, uh, vision. Um, yeah, and certainly the best clients that I've worked with and, and, and the ones who are able to give you that creative freedom, it always leads to the best outcome.
0: Right, mm-hmm. and do you in that scenario or in those scenarios, like, are you are you okay with sharing early it, more for a, kind of I, alignment, but more that you don't get to that point where it starts to get watered down, or do you prefer kind of scenario where it's like, look, we'll come back to you with something fully baked? What's your approach? It's a tricky one. I
1: think we've kind of. Ended up in the situation where we tend to go back with something that's fairly, fairly close to what we envision the, the final product to be, um, and the risk I suppose with that is that is that clients will judge it as being the final product. When it's yeah, in, yeah. Not. So, so the closer it is to a finished product, the, the kind of riskier it is. Um, and so, in some, and so, in fact, in a few recent cases, so particularly, we did a pitch a few weeks ago where we deliberately didn't make it look as though it was a finished product. You know, we had we had essentially had scamps and and yeah. you know, sketched storyboards for that very reason um, that we didn't want to make it look as though this is what you are going to get. You know, we, this has this has has to be refined and and so on. Um, and I think it was actually you know probably a good idea um because they really kind of got the idea and the idea was forefront rather than rather than um actually seeing what they thought they were going to see as an ad being put out there
0: yeah yeah and it probably is as well sometimes the the client you know and their their ability you know because sometimes you i think you can show things and you know like as you say the closer it looks to a finished product if a client hasn't maybe had the experience of of knowing what to look for and um, how do you guide and um, that sounds like sorry I don't mean that to sound as patronizing as as, as it was about to come out but but I, I do think in those moments where you you're working with clients and you're saying look what I need you to look at is this versus you know do you like the the animatic or you know how do you kind of work in that in that process
1: well um you know we're generally pretty explicit about that. Right. Uh, but the problem, of course, is that sometimes concepts or, or, or whatever you've presented will get passed on to other people, and I think that's the risk, is that you don't know that the way that you've couched it is necessarily going to be passed on um, to other people. And so if there are other decision-makers, then that's the risk. Uh, so, yeah, you do need to be careful. Um, I, uh, I don't know what I've got good
0: is there is there a way to guard against that? Because, look, I've seen that I've, I've I've been on both sides of that in an agency where, mm-hmm. you know, it goes away and like weeks later comes back and, you know, it's changed a thousand times or, you know. and th- But then I've also seen it on the client side where, yes, there are 10 other people that need to see this. And, you know, I guess if looking at that side from the agency into the client, is, the, is there a preference that you would like? Like, would you like to kind of say to the client, look, bring me with you? Let me speak to the CMO with you, or uh, have you seen that work?
1: Uh, yeah, and, and I think that can
0: work really well.
1: Um, if you get that opportunity, then then I think, you know, even if you have to represent, which is obviously painful, um, <laughs> but often, you know, that can really help because you don't know, you know, what how it's going to be framed. Yeah. Um, and, and I think particularly almost talking back to what we were talking about earlier with when we're able to present that evidence and, um, and put forward our case, I I think it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, again, you know, people with differing, differing views and seeing things very late in a process, you know, that, and that can throw everything, everything out out the window. And, and, does the longevity of the client relationship help there? Like in your agency, are, are the relationships you have, are they, are they long-term relationships?
1: Yeah, most of them are. And it's kind of been a bit of a hallmark of our agency, really. Um, you know, we've had clients for, at the moment, I think, our longest standing client is about seven years. But in the part, you know, we've had clients for over a decade. Yeah. Um, so that obviously makes a huge difference. You know, Once you can develop that trust, it becomes a much easier process. Um, yeah, so that's really, I mean, that is really a, sort of a, a philosophy of ours is that we really like to establish long-term flying relationships, um, you know, as, as all agencies do. But um, I think particularly particularly in, in an area that's as specialised as healthcare, Yeah, you know, getting pharmaceutical brands, for example, um, we will have a writer dedicated to that brand, you know, for years. Right. And so you get you get to know the brand really intimately. You get to know all the you know the claims that you can make, claims you can't make, the references, all the all the sort of stuff that just becomes almost second nature. That could, you know would take a new person months to get their head around because it really you know it can be really technical. So so that's really one of the advantages of working you know in that long term way. Yeah.
0: And I think that trust point is is so important that people trust the everyone's in it for the right reasons and just the longer you work it's not transactional and like do you as the agency like do you turn away project type work like is you know are you kind of saying look we're we're only going to go for the type of work that's that's going to be going to be longer term or are you do you work on projects in the hope that they leads to that long-term relationship
1: depends on the economic situation uh look ideally you know obviously we'd like to work not sort of with ad hoc projects yeah but you know the reality is that we that we do that, as well. that comes in um but we have had situations where yeah we've, we've had a, a sort of a project that then sort of you know, leads on to another project and then another and you know before you know it you you're sort of you know almost a, uh, an agency of record situation without even meaning to it but <laughs> um, which is good you know I think I think if you as you say you, you develop that trust early on and um, it, it sort of engenders a, a working relationship that's ongoing so yeah
0: it I is know. the look it's the it's the ideal scenario and I think it's the But maybe going back to that point as well about the you know change in leadership how it can <clears throat> can impact that you know I was talking to somebody in in the states and you know he was telling me that you know it's almost as bad now for agencies that it's not as it's not at how good the last campaign was it's how good the last meeting well, <laughs> if you have a bad meeting, you're like, "Great, they're gone." You're right, and that's yeah, just uh, that's, it feels like a, a race to the bottom. Yeah,
1: that's that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> mm, yeah, and and yeah, that, that, I mean, we've all experienced doing what we think is really great work, and the client's happy, and then for whatever reason, sort of the relationship ends. But as you say, you know, maybe someone new comes in, or. Yeah, it, it almost feel immaterial how how good the work was which yeah. is, which, is, which is disappointing but um,
0: that's
1: that's, it, that's you know, the business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is a copywriter and he follows you as well. Uh and I asked him which of the things you should never say to a copywriter out of your <laughs> your list was the one he was just like this is my one. So his was We've shown it to everyone in the company for their thoughts. Bill from accounts didn't like the tone, and Tommy the office beagle pissed on it. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that wasn't a real-life situation, but for you, out of maybe those or any new ones you're thinking of, like what are the worst things that people can say to you as a copywriter?
1: Uh, I, I might have actually been in that list, but yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't start a sentence with and it's pretty common. It's there, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought it probably was. Um, no, I can't think of any new ones off the top of my head. But yeah, the, uh, it's it's funny. I've become less pre- precious about that sort of stuff. I think I think you, you, it starts to wash over you after a while. I've heard it all <laughs> before. Um, yeah, I I think when when people who aren't you know who aren't writers start giving you advice about writing it, you know that can that can grate a little bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nobody because reads along. I think everyone thinks they can write. hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And it's, uh, and I think that's definitely a challenge with with marketing advertising. Is it's you know when you can see it, you can have a view on it. When you can read yeah. it, you can have a view on it. Um, and trying to trying to get that that balance right of taking input, you know, because yeah. people's views are are they're coming from a place so it's valid and it's kind of taking the views but I think often it's asking like what's for you like what's the right question to ask people when you're looking for feedback do you have any advice on people maybe you know copywriters or or account managers when they're going to clients and you know looking for feedback do you think there's some good questions people can ask that kind of help frame and get good feedback
1: yeah, well, I, I guess it, it's probably looking at it from a from a more of an aerial perspective. I don't know if that's the right term, yeah. but but you know, rather than looking, change this word or or you know, we don't like that color or whatever. I think I think the the question is why do you think this isn't going to meet the objectives of your you know that you have set for this campaign? Um, why would your audience not respond to this particular? Concept or image or word or whatever it is, and then you, and then you put it back on the agency to to um, to make revisions on that basis, rather than this kind of micromanaging, you know, We don't like we don't like it starting with end. Uh, yeah, that's probably the the best way to
0: go about it. I think. Yes, yeah, taking taking it up and out from the actual work, which again go back to your previous point, is why sometimes pre- presenting in a way that people are looking at the idea not the yeah. the script the specifics yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a new book coming out which i discovered on on twitter Um so tell me a bit about the book uh what's left to say <laughs> uh, uh
1: yeah okay so the story about this book has become a bit of an epic saga It's like. Um, it's like Guns N' Roses' latest album. It's been, been years in the making now. We've been talking about it, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Uh, yeah, look, Giles, Giles is listening. I'm going to pull your finger out, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, look, it's going to be more of the same. It's uh, same kind of thing. Lots of lots of little satirical pieces, articles that I've written for you know various publications and blog posts and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I think Giles is putting in a few things of his own. So, yeah, it's called How Brands Blow. Uh, and I've had Byron Sharp's thing on that.
0: So I was going to ask, because like, I, I, I did see that, actually. that was I couldn't remember the title. And I was like, oh, are people going to think you're having a pop at Byron? But like this conversation clearly suggests you wouldn't be. No, no.
1: and But so funnily enough, someone actually had a go at me on Twitter for it. Over- <laughs> and then Byron... I, Jumped in and said, Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, definitely, kind of-
1: definitely not having a go at him. It's, uh, it would be in line with his thinking.
0: Yeah. I, I guess with with that, kind of what are kind of maybe some of the key themes that you want to try to get across in the book?
1: Oh, look, not very different from delusion to brander, really. You know, that sticking to the fundamentals of marketing practice, um, avoiding, you know, some of the, charlatans uh and some of the the trends and vicissitudes that you know we see in marketing that people sort of latch onto and yeah it's, those are the kind of the, the main themes and and that's kind of the whole generally the purpose of my satirical work is is sort of ta- you know criticizing those things but from a from a taking looking at it from a um Uh, I don't know what's the word it's yeah not not confronting them head on so much
0: yeah yeah but when you think about you know I guess some of that you know there's there's always going to be trends there's always going to be things that are you know new I mean yeah AI all you know all that kind of kind of stuff how do you how do you look at it like how because I I don't get the impression that you're naturally dismissive and maybe I'm wrong but I don't get that impression (laughs) like you're 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 Incredibly smart and you know well read, well learned, and so do you. Do you try absorb it and then take the view, and then how do you how do you absorb kind of new and inf- new information?
1: Uh, look, I would not claim to be an expert on any of the new technologies. For example, I mean, geez, AI terrifies me. Um, you know, not not least the fact that I don't know what it's going to do to our jobs, um, but. <laughs> That's I, I guess what I do have is that longer term perspective. You know, I've been in the industry quite a while. I understand those principles of, of marketing. You know, those sort of fundamental principles, I suppose. And therefore, what I can do is get a is, is I can gauge whether something that comes along is likely to be a flash in the pan or not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of it seems to be. <laughs> and I think I've generally been proven fairly <laughs> right in most of it. Um, but, you know, I'll get it wrong, I'm sure. Um, yeah,
0: I, I I don't know. The future is looking very uncertain at the moment, so we'll see. What? Which parts? I mean, when you, you said that, you know, AI, what, what it would do for the jobs, do you genuinely think that's a potential threat or...?
1: Yeah, look, I do think it's a potential threat. I think for two reasons. Firstly, because I think people are very bad at assessing. Most people are very bad at assessing the quality of creative work and, you know, and writing, for example. Um, and I think for a lot of the time, for example, you know, chat GPT will come out with stuff that most people will think, oh, yeah, that seems okay. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem that different from, you know, most of the stuff that I see. Um, and so that said, I think... At, at this stage it's nowhere near the quality of of really great creative work. Um, but then the other my other concern is that this is it's fairly early days and it's gonna get better and it seems to be getting better pretty quickly. And and certainly the people that I respecting the industry i've certainly seen people saying that that look this is really is a game changer and it's and it's going to get better and it's you know it's going to be a concern and it's going to take a lot of jobs which, which jobs those are i don't know yeah. but um
0: yeah yeah and look i'm kind of in some way similar trying to Keep up with it, you know, understand it, use it. Mm. Um, again, I mentioned my my, my friend um, who's a copywriter KB13, and, and actually one of the things I don't think AI or chat GPT will do will be, you know, some of his best work has very few words in it.
1: Mm. Mm. And yeah. I actually don't yeah, think
0: I... that's going to be there, right? Yeah.
1: It's, uh, I think I I think I made a comment on LinkedIn that, like, if I'm, if I was aiming to be a methamphetamine fuel management consultant, then chat GPT would be ideal. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really replace that sort of that short, you know, brilliant short copy yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, and I'm not sure. I Look, I'm sorry, not to discount, I I do agree with, you know, there are definitely people who will see it and go, this is perfectly fine and, you know, yeah. it, it will do. It's but, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and okay is okay, but, you know, mm. you don't want to work on them. Um, so, look, you've... Great perspective on, on kind of marketing and you know, I love um as you cut like your satirical, you know, outputs and, and delusions and looking forward to how brands blow when that comes out. Um what is it what do you love about marketing? Um
1: I mean, I have always been well, I would like to think I've always been creative. Uh, and so it really is that, you know, I, I still love the creative side of my work. When we're doing, you know, concepts for new campaigns, that's where I really kind of feel as I'm in my element. Um, yeah, and, and I guess persuasion and um, writing to tap into emotion, all those kinds of things that, you know, copywriting should be about uh, is what I enjoy um, and, and also probably having that broader perspective on marketing and understanding how it fits into the broader context. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I enjoy all that stuff. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I would like to be doing a bit less of the day-to-day writing that I'm doing at the moment just because of the nature of, of sort of some of the work that we're doing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if I, could, if I could just write sort of concepts for ads all day, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, I, I spend a ton of time in spreadsheets, and I don't enjoy that ever.
1: This is what puts me off freelancing. Actually, the, you
0: know that whole business side of it. I don't think I'd be very good at that. So you know, I just want to do the work. Um, any advice you'd have then for you know somebody who is is thinking about a career in in copywriting? It might be somebody who's you know starting out, or somebody similar to you who's kind of thinking I'm gonna. I going to pivot and, and change this, this path from what you've experienced by doing it. Any, any things you would do differently or, or advice you'd have for anyone?
1: Uh, I definitely would have um, read, you know, the sort of the seminal copywriting books earlier. Uh, as we've mentioned, Drayton Bird's books, you know, Steve Harrison, how to write better copy, you know, that, those kinds of things, they, ch- they completely change your perspective on, mm-hmm. on what you're writing. You know, you're sort of flying blind as a copywriter. And I think a lot of copywriters are like that when they start out. Um, you know they think the analog you know they're good writers for example and so they think therefore that will immediately translate into into good copywriting and that's just not the case you know it is yeah. it is a learned discipline um, particularly direct response copywriting I think um, so yeah I, I, I think the sooner that you can get onto onto those um, those you know the, the works by the great copywriter the better
0: you just you touched on direct response copywriting and you've mentioned Drayton a few times and um, again I you know phenomenally uh, influential again I, I worked in nonprofits profits and I used to you know read his books to try get to that you know direct response and, and try test things out probably not brilliantly at, mm-hmm. at the time and um, th- for you what are some of the key things from without giving away the secret sauce for for direct response from a copy perspective that you think are like fundamentals and, and non-negotiable? Um, well, one of the points that Graydon often
1: makes is that long copies, you know, outperforms short copy yeah. and direct response copywriting consistently. And it really, you know, it's con- it seems like a bit of a lost art. Uh, well, certainly from from what I see. It's not. There, there are lots of great direct response copywriters around. But, um, you know, there's sort of been this trend towards everything getting shorter and shorter and nobody reads anymore and all that sort of stuff uh, when uh, it's very clear that, the, the, con, you know, the conversion happens when the longer the copy is. And when, if it, whenever you have a look at Triton's websites or if he's got an event that he's promoting, you know, the page just yeah, keeps on scrolling <laughs> until you're until you converted, basically. So, yeah, I think that's <laughs> a, a bit of a fundamental misunderstanding.
0: Yeah. Probably and probably if you're not sure, like test it. You know, like, if you think long and short is going to, you know, not the long and short, but long copy versus short copy, like, really? I don't understand. I can't understand that why people have a strongly held view and then just go, well, no, people won't read the long copy.
1: Yeah. It's almost like they get offended by what the test result might show. (laughs) 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 You thought that one of them was going to be, you know, it was going to be better than the other. Um, But, yeah, and even testing, I mean, as you know, Drayton tests religiously. Uh, and well, you know, he even talks about the difference that one word can make, or mm. just it's incredible how
0: detailed he gets
1: and how much knowledge he has about what, what's going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah, and actually, I'm just I'm reading Richard Shuttin's book "Illusion uh, of Choice" at, at the moment, and um, there's a, there's a whole the chapter I'm on at the minute talks about some of the calls to action and formats of again, come back to nonprofits, some nonprofit direct mail, and yeah. just the the donation responses and again surprising what would um yeah. what would actually achieve the higher higher results you know um yeah. so anyway i just find that stuff fascinating yeah. as well
1: yeah and richard's fantastic i mean choice factory is just a classic um and so many of those things that aren't necessarily intuitive and you just you know they yeah. real eye-opens about what works and, and what doesn't yeah
0: well, listen right we are we're we're at time thank you so much for for your time this evening for you and uh, really enjoy chatting to you uh, i've i've been following you on twitter since i got into uh, into adland so um yeah. you know it's been been fantastic to, to to follow you read your book and and today get to chat to you really really appreciate it no thank you very much it's been a pleasure I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ryan Woolman. If you aren't already following him on Twitter, you should look for Dr. Draper. And of course, great news is that in the not too distant future, a new book, How Brands Blow will be coming out. I think a big takeaway for me from this episode was our need to make sure we continue to educate ourselves and learn about marketing. It doesn't always have to be an expensive MBA or conferences even. That can sometimes be prohibitive to us uh, a lot of the time. But reading books, listening to stuff online is a great way to do that. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share the episode, add comments with any feedback. You can get in touch and find all previous episodes on That's What I Call Marketing.com. You can follow us on Instagram on That's What I Call Marketing, on Twitter at That's Underscore Marketing. And now you can watch our episodes back on YouTube. Yes, you guessed it. That's what I call marketing. So for me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode. Thanks for listening. And if you've watched, thanks for watching. Take care.